0: During the lifetime of many of us who are here this morning, there have been two uh, really significant and horrible court rulings. Uh, I know you know the ones I'm talking about probably. Back in 1973, just uh, in January of 1973, was the ruling of the Supreme Court about Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion in all states of the union. A horrible thing, the latest statistic I came across just recently on how, how many abortions had been performed in a little over 40 years since Roe v.ersus Wade. As of January 1st, 2015, so this is a year old data, get this, 57,762,169 abortions reported by our federal government. That's the rough equivalent of about one out of every six Americans. If you were to kill one out of every six Americans, that's how many unborn babies have been murdered since that ruling, uh, Roe v. Wade, in 1973. And then, of course, just last year. Now, many of us can remember that Roe v. Wade decision. Some of you younger ones can't, but all of us should be able to remember just last year on June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled uh, to allow same-sex marriage. Uh, in fact, that struck down laws that existed in 31 states uh, that mandated marriage between man and woman. The Supreme Court struck that down with their decision that now allows same-sex marriage nationwide. So, some terrible, horrible rulings that you're familiar with I want to suggest to you that those couple of things, specifically, define what has been called the culture war. There's a culture war going on in America today. It's a, it's a real war. It's certainly, that's an appropriate terminology to use. It is a real war. And since we're at war with such things as that, the question comes to mind, are we losing the fight? Since those kind of things have happened, since those kind of rulings have been made, uh, it sometimes seems like we are. We're losing the fight in this culture war. We want to address that question in our study this morning. By the way, I'm aware of the fact that's the Capitol building, not the Supreme Court building. Uh, but just in terms of our country, our nation, our society, our culture, are we losing the fight here as we try to oppose evil and wrong? Are we losing the fight? We want to talk about that for a few minutes in our study this morning. Before we go further, we stop here to thank you all for being present. We're glad for you all. As Lee already mentioned, we have a beautiful Lord's Day and it's a great privilege to be able to be together. We always look forward to these times and pray that God will be glorified and we will all be encouraged by the time we spend together today. If you have questions about anything you see or hear, Please ask them, especially those of you who might be visiting with us, if you see something that you don't understand or hear something that's not clear, please say a word and we'll try to explain that to you. We're trying hard at College View to be a church like the church you read about in the pages of your New Testament. We believe that's really the 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 only way we can be certain we're doing the will of God is go back to the Word. Have a thus saith the Lord, a book, chapter, and verse for all we say, do, and practice. And we're striving to do that. We're not saying we've achieved perfection in that matter, but that's our ambition uh, we're trying hard to be such a church. If you have any questions, please ask again to our visitors. We welcome you. Please come again every time you have a chance to be here. What about this real war that we're in? Are we losing the fight? Uh, well, uh, I want to suggest to you that sometimes it seems that we have. But the fact of the matter is that the pattern of history uh, that's revealed in the Bible shows that it's sort of always been this way. There's a lot of history in the Bible, right? The Bible is a history book in a way. And a lot of that history shows the same kind of things going on historically that we see going on in our world today. For instance, if we were to go all the way back into the book of Genesis into the days of Noah, you know this account very well. God saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You think it's bad now, and it is. Think how bad it was in the days of Noah, when just one man and his family were found to be right with God, or even trying to be right with God. Interesting that God knew Noah, He knew what was going on in Noah's life. He knew, of course, the the despicable conditions of the rest of the world. Here's Noah living in such a world, and yet he remained faithful, and God blessed him for that. Times have been bad in the past, very bad in the days of Noah, of course. Think about another historic episode. I just want to emphasize to you that the history has always been this way. The history has always been that it looks like things are not going so well for those who are trying to be faithful to God you remember in Numbers 14, as the children of Israel were approaching the promised land, they sent 12 spies into the land uh, to spy it out, to see what it was like, and to give a report. When they came back, they all reported that it was a, a marvelous land. But 10 of the 12 spies said, we can never take it, though, because the, the people of the, of the land are mighty, their cities are fortified. Uh, we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, and so they convinced the people that we can't go. We can't go forward. We can't go on into the promised land that God had promised for generations to give to them. They rejected that promise. They were ready to go back to Egypt. But in Numbers 14, verse 6, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Here's Joshua and Caleb doing the right thing, right? In, in opposition to the whole nation of Israel, they're saying, let's go forward. God will bless us. We can easily defeat these people because God will be on our side. What they get for that? Well, uh, a threat to be stoned with stones because of taking that sort of a stand. How about Elijah? In First Kings chapter 18, you remember the famous account of the contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Elijah had literally stood alone there in opposition to those false prophets of, ba- of the idol Baal. And he was victorious. But, and thus, in a sense, he single-handedly, with God's help, of course, defeated those false prophets of Baal. But you know what happened in the immediate next chapter. In chapter 19, beginning verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And so Elijah fled, you remember. Later in the chapter it says, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah felt like he was absolutely and completely alone. Yet God was still there. He was still aware of Elijah. And he was able to advise Elijah, there are still others who are being faithful to me. A small minority, of course, but there were still others who are being faithful. But get the picture here. Now, here's, a, here's a faithful servant of God. And he's he's fighting the battle almost alone, it seems. And he was very discouraged at that point, but God blessed him. But again, you see the history of this. I want to repeat just a couple of more incidents Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah said in chapter 6, beginning verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said, I hear am I send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, that they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and be healed. Uh, The idea was that the people would not hear with their ears and understand with the heart and be converted because their their hearts were fat, their ears were heavy, they had shut their eyes. And here's the great prophet Isaiah, and he's not going to have much success because the people just aren't listening. And that seems to be very much like today. And then finally, just one more reference. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? And so, all through the Old Testament, even up to here, one of the final references in the Old Testament. Continually great problems of people not serving God faithfully. In fact, these, this statement, of course, even made to the Israelites, the very people of God, they were not trying to do the right thing. You know, that, that sadly seems to parallel our situation today as well, doesn't it? When even a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians, and sadly even some of our own brethren, will not take a stand for doing the right thing, it seems like when you put all of that together that maybe we're losing the fight. But the fact of the matter is, we need to be reminded of the history recorded in the Scripture, that that's the way it's always been. Uh In fact, the scriptures teach us that the righteous have been, we just saw, and always will be in the minority. A very simple statement from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. you think Jesus would have missed his prediction here? You think he would have made an inaccurate claim? No, he was absolutely accurate, right? Uh, the broad way leads to destruction. The narrow and straight gate leads to life eternal. It's a true observation that Jesus has made. So, although we could be discouraged by the culture war as we see it and the potential that we're losing the fight, We understand that that's really the pattern of history. God's faithful people have always struggled against evil and have always been in the minority. And Jesus said always would be in the minority uh, when it comes to such things. We need to accept that. And we need to understand that the Scripture says that this world will never offer us true comfort. Uh, We need to accept this reality. As the people of God, we need to know that This world is not our home. Just recently in the book of Hebrews, we studied that uh, those people of God in times past considered themselves as strangers and pilgrims. And that's very much the sort of the outlook that we need to possess concerning our existence here. This is not our our permanent home. Uh, Things here are never going to be perfect, never really be right. But we're looking for a better existence in heaven Job, who was certainly a a great and faithful man, had this view of his existence on earth. In Job chapter 14, verse 1, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Job didn't think that this world was ideal, did he? He didn't see this as the place where he was seeking perfection. He understood the realities of life. The psalmist said there's no real comfort here. In Psalm 90, verse 10, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And so, again, we observe that if we've got a right thinking in our mind about all of this, we ought to understand it's always been hard. The people of God have always struggled. We're going to be in the minority. This world is not going to offer us that real comfort. And when it seems uh, that we are defeated, we, we need to work at maintaining what we could identify as an eternal perspective. Are we losing the fight? Are we losing the fight? What's your yardstick? In other words, if you're going to make that determination, we're losing this fight. If you were going to make that determination, you'd have to have something to measure that against, Right? What's your measuring stick? How would you determine whether we're losing or not? Well, if we look at just here and now, then, yeah, I would say uh, not only are we losing the five, but we potentially have lost it. it is, it's past retrieval. If we're just looking at here and now, it's bad. Certainly things are very bad in our world. And they're not getting better, right? Nobody would argue that uh, especially in regards to things of morality, nobody would argue it's getting better, it's getting worse. We referenced in our introduction, uh, abortion, homosexuality. And you could just add to that list uh, more and more problems of gross immorality in our culture. If you're just measuring that by here and now, uh, then you would, you would argue, well, it's past fixing. We've lost the fight and we can't get it back. But if, if we measure things from an internal perspective, we get a different conclusion. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You think that the Apostle Paul might have ever thought, thought we're losing the fight? You know, that's the question we're asking in our study this morning. Are we losing the fight? You think the Apostle Paul might have ever said, yeah, you talk about, yeah. We're losing this fight. You know, those times that he had been beaten, the times that he had been uh, thrown in jail, all the hardships and persecutions which he had suffered. You think Paul might have said, man, this, this is a losing fight. Uh, and maybe even give up on that fight. Of course, he never thought that because he understood things from this eternal perspective that we're suggesting that we need to develop as well. The fight wasn't lost. And Paul was doing the right thing and would continue to do so. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, beginning verse 25, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Get the idea here. Jesus even suggested the potentiality of losing your life for his sake. Now we're pretty far removed from that, aren't we? We've got issues in our day and time. And this culture war that we're fighting seems like a losing battle maybe sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, we haven't lost our lives in his service. In our study here in the auditorium this morning, we read where the Hebrew writer said, you have not yet suffered blood resisting evil. We're not under that form of persecution. Uh, But even if we were, even if we were, what if we traded off and said, well, I'm going to quit that. And I'm going to go for the things the world has to offer. Jesus said if you could gain the whole world but ended up losing your soul, you would have made a miserable exchange. And so, again, when it seems we're defeated, we need to maintain the eternal perspective that the Scripture encourages us to do. In a real sense, I think we could say that there are victories being won that men can't see. There are things going on. There are faithful servants of God in this world who are doing His will that we don't even know. And we don't know of them. And they probably don't know of us either. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know everything that's happening. And there are victories that man can't see and that the, that the average man wouldn't even measure as a success, but God does. Really, the fact of the matter is that God is the ultimate judge of who's really winning the battle Again, just recently we looked at Hebrews chapter 11 in our adult class here Sunday morning in the auditorium. And that whole 11th chapter of Hebrews talks about great characters of faith in the Old Testament times and talks about the things they did. And here at the end of that discussion, the Hebrew writer mentions some who'd suffered mightily. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That doesn't sound very good, does it? What would men say? Well, those are a bunch of losers. That's a bunch of losers. Those people are losers. They're just, they're wandering around in goatskins and sheepskins. Uh, they're living in caves. Those people have lost. They've lost the fight, right? But God said they were giant heroes of the faith. And they had not lost, but they had in reality won the most important battles of all. And so, again, understand that in this great fight of good versus evil, there are victories that man can't see. But finally, we would conclude with making the observation that God's ultimate victory in this matter is absolutely certain. It's absolute. It's positively certain. It cannot fail. There's no doubt about it. God will be ultimately victorious. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb. There's there's our word, right? There's this war. This war is underway. These shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So there's your war terminology, right? What does it say about the outcome? It says the outcome is God wins. And if we are on His side, we win too, right? Some have suggested, I think it's a, a pretty fitting way to view the book of Revelation. If you wanted to summarize the book of Revelation in two words, That summary would be God wins. There's a great fight. Always has been a great fight ever since the Garden of Eden of good versus evil. How does it turn out in the end? You want to flip to the end of the story? Read the last pages of the history that will be written? The last pages of that history say God wins. And of course, that means that we need to be on that winning side too. Are you on that side? And so... In the tremendous war of good versus evil or or the terminology that we often employ these days in this great culture war that we're engaged in, what are some of the realities? Well, the realities are, as we said, what we're dealing with is not that much different than God's faithful people have dealt with all through history. And we know and have been advised to anticipate to be in the minority of this always. It's always been the case. This world is not an end of itself. We're just strangers and pilgrims. We're just passing through. Keep that eternal perspective, even when it seems like things aren't going well. Know that God is aware, and there are victories taking place that men don't perceive and can't see. But finally, ultimately, when it's all said and done, when everything is finished, we know uh, that God will be victorious, and if we're on His side, we will be as well. Are we losing this fight? Yeah, it can be somewhat discouraging. I I agree. The fact of the matter is, we have great information in the Word of God to help us endure whatever may come our way as we live for the Lord and serve Him in our lives. What's your situation this morning? Are you right with God? Are you on His side? Have you aligned yourself with those forces that are striving for what's right and just and holy? Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? If not, we would encourage you to make that decision. The plan of salvation, as revealed in God's Word, is not hard to understand. You hear the truth. You believe it. Pen of your sins. You confess your faith in Jesus. You're baptized for the remission of sins. Have you done that? If not, we would encourage you to make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, you've, you've not been loyal and faithful in this great fight for right, come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.